Hey everybody, in this week's episode of Ask a Catholic Therapist, I want to uh, build off of last week's episode. And so, uh, last week we talked about cognitive behavioral therapy. What is the cognitive behavioral model? And I mentioned that there are oftentimes 10 common thought errors that we look for. So in CBT, one of the things we do is we try to help a client identify um, ways in which they're thinking that uh, are irrational. And that is ways that their beliefs don't fit the evidence or don't make the best sense of reality. And so CBT, you know, you'll see number, like lists will vary you know, between 10, 12, 15. But I'm going to highlight sort of 10 common thought errors. Now, these are ways that our thinking sort of systematically deviates. Um, that tends to like, w w these tend to be sort of ways that we... Um, habitually uh, error, right? Now, we can all fall into any one of these at any time, but frequently we have one or two, two or three of these that we are particularly prone to, these particular errors in judgment or, or reasoning. So let's get into them. What are the 10 common thought errors? So the first is all or nothing thinking. Sometimes uh, we can tend to evaluate things in really black or white terms. Um, one of my, one of my um, children tends to think in very black or white terms. Things are either good or bad, right or wrong. Um, if, a, if we're talking about a friend and a friend has maybe made a mistake and we say, you know, they probably shouldn't have acted that way. He'll say, well, they're bad then. And we'll say, no, they're, they're not bad, right? They're a good kid that's made a mistake. Um, or if he makes a mistake and I say, man, you really messed up there. He'll say, I'm, I'm not a good kid. I'm bad. I said, no, you're not bad, right? You're a good kid that's made a mistake. He tends to see everything in good or bad, right or wrong, all or nothing. So this way of thinking eliminates any gray area. It eliminates any um, room for nuance. And it can really get us in trouble, right? We think that people are either saints or sinners, right? Um, somebody's either a good parent or they're a bad parent. Well, the truth is, like, we're mixed bags. Most situations, right, have a, have a fair amount of gray area in them. So this type of thinking can get us in trouble because it doesn't allow room for nuance, for specificity. It doesn't allow room for um, uh, sort of gray area. So that's the first one, all or nothing thinking. Um, you know, you're either a success or a failure, right? Like, I'm a, like, I'm a bad dad because I messed up. Like, I'm a failure. Well, no. Look at all the good things I've done. Okay, second is overgeneralizing. Overgeneralizing occurs when we reason about a, a, a group or about um, future experiences. We reason about um, what's going to happen based on one experience or limited experiences. It's when we generalize a belief based on very limited data, right? either one piece of evidence or, or a really limited amount of evidence. We take that limited evidence and we use it to cast a really broad net. So let's say, um, let's say you, you had a, a girl break up with you in uh, high school, right? Freshman year of high school, um, you know, you're really enamored with this young lady, she breaks up with you. And you say, you just say, uh, uh, all women are gonna break my heart. Now, you have two thought errors in there. One, it's all or nothing thinking. So you're saying 
all women are going to break my heart, right? You're not saying some women might in the future break my heart again. Right? That's all or nothing thinking, but it's also overgeneralization. Why? Because you're using a limited amount of evidence. You're taking one experience and generalizing it to the rest of your dating career, right? The rest of your day, career is a weird word. The rest of your dating, uh, you know, life, future. Um, it's about, right, overgeneralization is about taking limited evidence. So uh, you fail a test, right, in, in college. And so you say, I'm, I'm just going to fail, you know, the rest of my tests in this class. You fail one math class or one math test and you say, I'm just going to fail all the rest of the tests in this class. Again, what's your evidence? Well, I, well, I failed one, one test. In science, uh, rather in life, like science, it doesn't make sense to use small samples to make big sweeping claims. So if I have three guys, right? I want to do a study about Catholic men and I have three men. And those three men happen to be not very great men. And I say, well, Catholic men aren't good men. Well, what's my evidence? I've got three men, right? Well, how many Catholics are there in the world? Can I reason about all Catholic men from three men? No, that's overgeneralizing. So overgeneralization is the second thought error that tends to get us in trouble. The third is filtering out, out the positive. This happens when... Um, we tend to not be able to see good things, right? We only see the negative. So, you know, if you've got five really great things that happen to you and one bad thing happens and you focus on the bad thing, right? You get into the school of your dreams, um, you're doing well in a bunch of your classes, um, you've got a great internship, you know, but you, let's say, um, I don't know, Got in an argument with your roommate. You say something like, college is the worst. College is just the worst. Well, why? Because I got in a fight with my roommate. Yeah, but you got a great internship. You have a wonderful girlfriend. You got into the college of your choice, right? You're doing well in all your classes. Right? Filtering out the positive is when we're not able to see the good things, we sort of overly focus on uh, or have a myopic vision toward the negative. So that's filtering out the positive. Mind reading is the fourth one. This is one that I particularly struggle with. This is one of my own um, that I, I tend toward. Mind reading is, as it sounds, when you tend to think you know what other people are thinking. I know they're bored. I know they hate this. I know they're not having fun. I know they think I look stupid. I know that um, this person thinks that I'm not smart enough. I know that they're thinking that I'm not a good enough father, right? That's mind reading. And we oftentimes act off of those beliefs when in fact, we don't have evidence, right? I think I know what you think, so I'm gonna act like it's true. I'm gonna act as if what I think about what you think is true. But I don't actually know what you think, do I? Right? I need evidence. Have you said that? Have you acted in such a way that? What evidence do I have that you actually think that? Other, it, it, right? It's irrational for me to act as if it's true that I know what you're thinking without any evidence. So that's the fourth one, mind reading. The fifth one is catastrophizing. This is when we tend to think that things are going to be much worse than they actually are, right? And this can be um, a form of, um, uh, so, so magnification. Sometimes we call it minimization and magnification. It can sort of be a, a type of magnification where we blow something out of proportion. 
um, and in the particular way of assuming that it's going to be the worst. Right? So catastrophizing is a type of magnification. Um, but in particular, when we catastrophize, we sort of always assume the worst possible thing is going to happen. Right? I know I'm never going to get into that school. I know that my kid's going to end up um, you know, leaving the church. I just know that my spouse uh, isn't going to like these flowers that I got her, and then we're going to get into an argument, and then we're going to have a, a, just a terrible night tonight. I know that uh, labor is going to be so hard with this child, and that I'll probably end up in the hospital for a couple days. And right? Catastrophizing is when we just assume the worst, again, without evidence. Or sometimes we catastrophize because we're overgeneralizing. We had one bad, you know, you'll see this sometimes with birthing experiences uh, with women. They've had um, a rough pregnancy, a rough birthing experience, and they'll generalize from that one experience and then they'll catastrophize. So it's overgeneralization and right, all my births are gonna be terrible, they're gonna be the worst. I'm probably gonna end up in the hospital again. Um, I bet this time I'll probably actually even, right, need stitches and I'll probably, Right. There's an assumption of the worst possible thing coming to fruition without evidence that that's true. And obviously you can see how these would affect mood, right? When you're catastrophizing, you tend to feel anxious, you tend to feel depressed, you tend to feel scared, you tend to isolate from people or try to overly control situations. Right? So hopefully you see how these thought errors can get us in trouble behaviorally, emotionally, and even with our own physiological arousal. When you're catastrophizing, you're in fight or flight because you have to prepare for the worst. Okay, uh, number six, emotional reasoning. This is when um, we feel a certain way, right? So we assume that the way we feel speaks the truth about reality, right? So if I'm angry, there must be something to be angry about. If I'm scared, there must be something to be scared about. We assume that our, our feelings map onto reality accurately all the time. And so emotional reasoning says that if I'm scared, there's something to be scared of. If I'm anxious, then there must be something wrong in, in this situation. If I'm angry, then you must have done something. It, emotional reasoning fails to recognize that our emotions follow our beliefs and our beliefs might not be accurate or rational. And so if we can identify how our belief is inaccurate or irrational, the feeling associated with it will change. Um, so we need to be mindful when we tend to reason from our feelings rather than allowing our thoughts and beliefs to be evaluated first. Um, the seventh uh, is fortune telling. Fortune telling. And this is uh, when we assume we know that what's going to happen in the future. Um, as the name indicates, fortune telling is sort of thinking that we can predict what's going to happen. I just know that I'm not going to get a job when I get out of college. I just know that my boss is going to fire me at the end of the quarter. I just know that um, this birth is going to be terrible. This is fortune telling. When we assume that we can tell the future, again, without inadequate, rather with inadequate evidence or uh, without any sufficient data, we're predicting what's going to happen. Um, I know my YouTube channel is just going to fail or flounder. I know my private practice isn't going to go well. I know that. How do I know that? What's my evidence for that? 
Do I have any counter evidence or like contrary evidence? Right? So it's fortune telling. Uh, the eighth is personalization. Personalization. And so in personalization, um, we assume that sort of everything is about us. We make the world about us, right? We, um, we assume that everything that's happening has us as a focal point. And so when uh, we're in a room full of people and those people are maybe frustrated or angry, um, we assume we must have done something wrong. Right? I must have done something wrong. Maybe you've experienced this with your spouse. You walk in the house, uh, your spouse is maybe unhappy or frustrated or angry, or overwhelmed or sad, and you think, what did I do? What did I do? You didn't do every, anything. Like, stop making it about you. Stop personalizing, right? Um, maybe the kids were rough today. Maybe she just got bad news from her mother or father. Maybe something happened with a neighbor, right? Personalization is when we, we assume that whatever's happening has been caused by or must be about us. So we make things, we take things very personally. Um, the ninth thing is uh, minimization and, and magnification. And so minimization and mag magnification is when we either take something that's important and we make it really, really small. We don't give it the, the sort of credit that it's due or the attention or time that it deserves. Or we take something and we make it really, really big. So um, sometimes in domestic abuse situations, um, the first time somebody, uh, let's say a, a man uh, hits his girlfriend, um, sometimes in those situations, uh, the girlfriend might say, well, you know, it's, it wasn't a big deal. He was really tired and stressed and he's had a really hard time at work and he's been really busy. She's taking something that is a big red flag. Like your boyfriend, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your spouse should never put their hands on you, right? In violence, in anger, they should never. And so to take that big red flag and say, oh, well, it's not a big deal. That's minimization. That's taking something that's actually a big deal and not giving it the, the, the space, time, and attention it deserves. But then there's magnification. This is making a mountain out of a molehill, right? So this happens when uh, we take something that's kind of small and we blow it out of proportion. Um, so I'm walking down the hall and I see my boss and my boss doesn't say hi to me in the hall. And I say, can you, believe, can you just believe how rude he is? He didn't even look at me in the eye. He didn't even say hi to me. And I go home to my wife and I say, kid, I'll tell you what, that fella, he did, can you believe that he didn't even say hi to me in the hall today? I just can't get over how rude he is. And, I, and my wife was like, well, Matt, I mean, it just, it was like one time he didn't say hi to you. Like maybe there are other things going on, maybe, like it's not a big deal, right? Or let's say you fail a test in college. You fail a test and you say, that's it. I'm never gonna, uh, uh, I'm never gonna graduate. I'm, you know, probably going to fail out. There's a whole bunch of other thought errors that get woven in there, right? Probably going to fail out. Um, I'm not going to be able to, to succeed in life. I can't be a doctor. I, I just I can't. Um, gosh, I, I don't even know if I should continue college. I just, you say, wait, hold on. You're, you're kind of making a big deal. You just, you failed one test. You're going to take hundreds of tests over the course of four years. You failed one test. You're kind of blowing this out of proportion. It's just, it's just one test, right? Um, Sometimes I see the, the kids on, on campus, I'll, I'll end with this one. Sometimes I see the kids on campus um, as they're thinking about dating, 
um, you know, the guys or the girls will say something to me like, you know, Dr. B, um, I don't know. Uh, I asked her if she went to uh, uh, daily mass on Thursday, and she said she didn't. And so I, I just don't know if I should continue in this relationship. I say, why? Well, she, she missed daily mass. I say, Buddy, right? Blown that out of proportion. She missed daily mass. You know, would it be nice if she went? Should we try to go as often as we can within reason? Absolutely. But you're kind of blown this out of proportion, right? You're going to break up and end a relationship that's been going well because the person missed daily mass or because she missed praying a, ro a, a rosary on a particular day or right making too big a deal out of something right okay that's number nine um and then for the last one um let's see here there's a couple to choose from but this is the one should statements i want to highlight this one should statements because you see this this isn't uncommon in sort of among religious folks, um, sometimes we joke, we call it shitting on yourself. But sometimes we develop these rules. Men shouldn't cry. Um, smart people shouldn't fail tests. Good students should never need help. A good parent should never yell at their kids. Right? We develop these rules, these should statements, and they end up causing a lot of anxiety and guilt because oftentimes they're uh, rigid and unrealistic. They're rigid and unrealistic. Um, my YouTube channel should have 10,000 subscribers by now. Like, why? Where am I getting that from? Men shouldn't cry. Why? Where are we getting that from? It ends up putting a pressure on us that if we find ourselves not living up to that, right? oh no, what does that mean about us? If I cry, then what's that mean? Um, if I don't have 10,000 YouTube followers, what's that mean about me? Right? We develop these rules, and these rules can cause anxiety, they can cause um, a tremendous sense of guilt or shame, and oftentimes they're not really accurate. Right? They don't oftentimes map onto reality or the way things really should be. We sort of come up with these based on our own experiences from childhood, our neighborhoods, our, um, our environments, etc. Different you know, ethnicities and races tend to have certain cultures that have some shoulds in there. So. Um, black people should be able to dance, right? Uh, well, what if you can't dance? Now, my dad's black, my mom's white. I should say my biological father, not, not the guy I call my dad, but my biological father's black, my mom's white. I can dance. I got it. What if I didn't? I was at a wedding last night. What if I had two left feet? And I believe black people should be able to dance. What's that mean about me, right? So, should statements. I want you to go back, look at these um, thought errors. Find the one that resonates with you the most. What are the ones that you tend to fall prey to? Oftentimes, if we pause when we're having a, an emotional reaction, a big feeling, or we're responding in a way that isn't particularly healthy or helpful, or we're having excessive emotional arousal, right? Intense fear, anxiety, panic, sadness. If we can stop and identify what our thought was that's preceding that behavior, that feeling, or that physiological arousal. If we can write that thought out, write it out, and ask ourselves, is there a thought error in there? What is the thought error that's present? What evidence do I have that this belief is true? What evidence do I have that might be contrary to this belief? Do I have any counter evidence? What might a more realistic and rational belief be? If we can get into the habit of doing this, noticing our thoughts, challenging them, recognizing the thought errors, we'll ultimately be able to cultivate 
and adopt beliefs, assimilate beliefs that are more realistic, more rational, fit the way the world is better. And ultimately our reactions and responses will be more proportional to reality. And that's what we're after here. We're after behaviors, responses, reactions that are proportional to reality, right? We don't want to get rid of sadness. We don't want to get rid of anger. We don't want to get, but we don't want to be blowing up in anger when, uh, you know, a kid spills a cup of milk at the dinner table. It's not a proportional response. It's not an appropriate reaction, right? Maybe frustration is, a little bit of frustration, but excessive anger, it doesn't fit what happened. Why? What's my belief? Right? Here's another spill. I'm going to have to clean it up. I'm not going to have any time tonight to spend with myself or to relax. My kid's so clumsy. He's always going to be a clumsy. He's never going to be a... Right? What are all the thought errors that are in that belief that are causing me to respond so disproportionately to what happened? If we can get good at doing this, we find that our reactions start to be more proportional. Right? They start to correspond with reality better. And we also oftentimes have a shift in what feelings we feel in certain situations because we're now having uh, or experiencing thoughts and beliefs that are actually consistent, right? They're less fraught with thought errors. And so they're consistent with reality. So anyway, I hope this helps. Um, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. Keep sending those questions in, y'all. I'm really, really enjoying it. God bless.